Hello, doll friends, and welcome to the 38th episode of Breaching Extinction. This week, we're talking about how we can save salmon, orcas, and money um, through dam removal with Jim Waddell of Dam Sense. Hope you guys find this conversation as interesting and motivational as I did. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me. How are you doing today? Oh, we're just in the middle of all these fire fights with Bonneville Power Administration and other groups that are dragging their feet and uh, working public utility issues as well. How are you? I'm all right. Yeah, kind of, you know, trying to to wrap my head around all this and get involved and do the same sort of thing. Um, But, you know, things are picking up. I am in California and things are starting to open up, so it's good to be back to work. Um, But, yeah, so thanks again for taking the time to meet with me. I'm really excited to chat with you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your background as far as your um, involvement with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, Erica. Well, anyway, my name is Jim Waddell and I'm a civil engineer and, um, the Corps of Engineers hired me straight out of college, the Citadel in uh, Charleston, South Carolina to come and work for them. And, um, um, that's a military college down there. And so, um, I started in 1975 and, um, and immediately ran into the kind of issues I've been dealing with all my life about finding out how to save money and people tell me they're not interested in that. So anyway, um, the, um, I moved up to the core pretty quickly. I moved from Charleston to Germany and then to Washington, D.C. In Washington, D.C., I did 12 years of policy work okay. and worked for other federal agencies and uh, the White House and so forth. Um, and then I'm, I was, uh, I went to Walla Walla, okay. Washington with the Corps of Engineers and became, I was the deputy district engineer there, the civilian deputy. And at the time we got there, we were in the final stages of a $33 million feasibility study um, to determine whether um, breaching was an economic biological benefit um, uh, to restore salmon and, you know, address economic issues. And, um, the uh, in that study, um, basically, I was um, seeing that the data there was pretty supportive of breaching the dams. All there was a lot of warts in that study, and we fixed a lot of stuff. But, um, it, but so anyway, I recommended that we breach the dams, or we continue studying the breach process and try to get everything in place that was needed to begin breaching in a few years. Uh, my reckon, recommendation was ignored, and um, we um, the decision was a political one to go ahead and just. Uh, um, keep the dams and ignore really what the data in the um, um, study was saying. That study became an environmental impact statement, and that was the purpose of it, to ac- actually generate an environmental impact statement for the operation of the four Snake River dams. And that EIS was signed in 2002, and a record of decision was signed as well. And in the EIS is the alternative that they adopted, which was to spend more money trying to retrofit the dams for fish passage, primarily juvenile fish passage. And, you know, the estimate was a two or three hundred million dollars to do that over the course of the next 20 years. Um, the other alternatives in there were the primary one was breaching, well developed alternative with a cost and everything. And, um, Anyway, the decision was made to um, spend all that money, and actually it wasn't two or three hundred million, it's close to a billion dollars was spent on those dams. And so um, since then, 
So anyway, that EIS is still the operable EIS for the project. Mm-hmm. Now, I left Walla Walla around 2002, went to Atlanta, did military construction um, for six years, um, retired. Um, I was rehired three times by the Corps, though. But in the process of retiring and being rehired, I moved to um, Port Angeles, Washington, where I live now, mm-hmm. and and kind of forgot about Snake River Dams. And so um, the that was just ancient history to me, but I was at a a meeting, a science symposium regarding the Elwha dams. I wanted to learn about those. And um, there was a couple environmental groups, uh, Save Our Wild Salmon and uh, Yvonne Chouinard from um, Patagonia was speaking. And they were talking about the Snake River dams. And I was surprised that they were discussing that. And anyway, they had a very compelling story about the salmon impacts. They weren't talking about orcas in those days. Um, But anyway, they... um, indicated breaching was really a a long-term proposition and that um, that wasn't going to happen anytime in the next 10 or 15 years because of the economics. I knew that was not the case. And so I stood up and said something, you know, basically grabbed the mic and told them that that was incorrect and they really weren't reading these government documents and so forth. That ended up in a film called Damnation, a documentary, and, um, and they later interviewed me. And so that drug me back into this Snake River Dam issue by total accident. Mm -hmm. And since then, though, um, since I was being interviewed a lot and in the movie and so forth, I started doing my homework again, opening up those old boxes, those old studies, the environmental impact statement. And reading that stuff over and over again with the little luxury of time on my hands being retired, I saw that the, the, the concerns I had back in 2000, 2002 time frame in the one or two, three, four million dollar range were really underestimated. The, the issues I was seeing that these these dams were costing ratepayers, the public, uh, um, hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars. And so I started pointing this out and making that statements. Um, and, and I've been doing that pretty consistently for the last um, um, 10, 10 years. The um, a few years ago, um, these issues, as I was bringing them up in the public utility sector, um, kind of got me interested in running for office. And so I, I ran for public utility commissioner here in Clallam County and was elected about a year and a half ago. And so I'm currently mm-hmm. also a public utility commissioner. Yeah. And of course, I'm not representing them in this phone call. Um, okay. So anyway, that, that pretty much gets us up to my history with the Corps mm-hmm. and um, where we are now. Excellent. Um, so you're now working, um, with DamSense. Tell us kind of how that organization came to fruition and, um, what you guys are doing now. Well, DamSense basically, um, arose out of a meeting that, uh, myself and about 10 other people had, um, about six years ago to talk about how to accelerate this dam breaching idea based on the principle that I was showing them that they could be breached very quickly. This wasn't a long-term proposition. Mm-hmm. And I'll get into later why that's possible. But um, so DamSense, uh, we agreed to work together. DamSense was basically nothing more than a website that Patagonia helped fund and set up, or we set it up with their money. And um, the um, and so for years, it's it's just been a website where myself and others, a lot of former government people, core people, volunteers have been posting documents based on government information. It it has taken on as sort of an organic kind of growth in in thousands of tens of thousands of people are now familiar with Dam Sense 
primarily through the ORCA movement um, that got that we engaged in about five years ago and pointed out the relationship between Snake River Sam and Southern Resident Killer Whales. The ORCA community came very excited about what Dan Sense was doing. And so um, through that process, um, we got a lot of recognition around the world in terms of um, trying to do something about ORCAs. Um, uh, just recently, about three months ago, we incorporated as a non-government organization in a 501c3 and all that kind of stuff in order to try to raise money to do some more analytical work, which is what is needed. Because um, for most of the time, I've been by myself trying to do this with some volunteers. And so now we're trying to raise money to hire some analytical people. So that's what Damn Sense is now. Um, and it's um, a well-recognized name here in the Pacific Northwest and around the world. That's awesome. Um, so I'll move on to our next question. So can you give us a little bit of the history of the Lower Snake River dams and kind of tell us about how they're currently being used? Sure. The, the idea of dams on the Lower Snake Rivers goes back to the um, early part of last century. The Snake River um, um, was a navigable waterway that was established by the Corps of Engineers back in the 1880s and 1890 timeframe to get steamboats up to Lewiston, Idaho. Um, and these vessels could get up there 10, 11 months of the year, but during low water, they, they had a hard time because of the rapids and so forth. The interest in Eastern Washington kept pressing Congress and the Corps of Engineers over and over again to do something, to build dams or something. The Corps studied this in the 1930s. They basically said it's not economically feasible to do this. Um, um, and so the, the issue went away for another decade, but those, those people in Eastern Washington kept pressing and pressing to try to do something to get river navigation up to Lewiston. Now keep in mind, at that time, there was two railroads, one on each side of the Snake River, going up and down the river, hauling grain and everything else. And so this was, this was just a, a nothing but a pork barrel project and to try to get around the railroads because back in those days they weren't all that friendly with rates and so forth but anyway there were railroads there the um in the 1940s though after world war ii the um the corps and bureau of reclamation went into a dam building uh, bonanza i mean they were building dams all over the country and so they were competing with each other the snake river dams came up again in 1945, the Corps presented them the idea to Congress. Um, Congress said, well, show us if the benefit-cost ratio is there. We'll authorize them if it is. The Corps spent a couple of years doing a study, and basically what they ended up doing was cheating. Um, when they ran the economics by the books, it's, it wasn't viable. But they said, if we add some benefits that weren't legitimate, we can get the benefit-cost ratio over one. And so they basically fabricated additional benefits to get the dams authorized in 1947. Congress was still very suspicious and so didn't fund these dams, the construction of them for another decade. And so by, by 1961-62, the first dam, Ice Harbor, was put into operation and it had a navigation lock and so forth. And there were gonna be four dams, or actually five dams on the Snake River. Um, and so they began construction. Um, the fourth dam, Lower Granite, was completed in 1975. The fifth dam was never built because the state of Idaho and state of Washington was trying to put pressure on the Corps not to build these dams because of the salmon implications, and they were successful in stopping the fifth dam. Um, so since about 1975, we've got all four dams, and they've been providing navigation up to river navigation, barge traffic up to Lewiston, Idaho. 
and along the Snake River. And also, of course, they produce hydroelectric power. And those are the two primary functions. Um, a lot of people think they're flood control dams, and they are not. They are not flood control dams. In fact, the Loper Dam at Lower Granite actually causes a flooding issue in Lewiston because of the backwaters and the flooding and the sediment drops out there. And there's over 100 million cubic yards of sediment up in, on the Snake River at Lewiston, which during a, a peak, you know, a flood or something would actually overtop the levees there. So it's actually a flooding problem, not a flood control project. The, the hydropower benefits, um, you know, there's 3,000 megawatts of what they call nameplate capacity, but because of low flows in the Snake River, those, the average megawatts is only about 900 a year. So you can see that the dams are only operating at about one-third of their capacity in terms of hydropower. And so um, that's kind of where, where we are now with the history. Wow. Uh, that's yeah okay that's definitely a lot I know like when you were talking about the um like economics of it and them kind of falsifying things I know there's several other economic valuations that are done and we talked with Adam Demansky and those ones seem to be consistent so I mean have you kind of seen consistency in that like with the history of you know so they were pretty much made illegitimately and then now um they're having more of a cost like is that pretty much consistently what you've seen in other environmental valuations that have been done um yes generally speaking that's true the some of the other studies have pointed out the um these you know these well let me put it this way there's there, people believe there's benefits in keeping the dams and okay. then there's people that believe there's benefits in breaching the dams so let me quickly speak to both of those. Um, the benefits for keeping the dam, of course, are hydropower navigation. There is some irrigation on one of the dams, the lower dam, and that is providing irrigation to about 14 farmers that are basically corporate farmers in nature. So the those, those people believe that breaching the dams will harm them, the power people, the grain, the people, the farmers that ship grain and the irrigators. However, all those things were studied in this study we did back 20 years ago, and we showed that there was, there was ways to mitigate all of that. Now, we've done some updates with me and some guys in the Corps of Engineers and some other folks have updated all that information, and we can show how it's relative, relatively inexpensive to take care of all the farmers, whether you're irrigator or grain shipper, and the hydropower issues for ratepayers. The benefits of breaching, though, um, that are generally, um, you know, I, I think a lot of the environmental groups that have done studies say, yes, we're going to get salmon back. I think they, they sometimes underestimate the amount of salmon you can get back, though, because what people um, kind of think about is, in particular, and this is important for orcas, is that um, we tend to measure the number of salmon making it back to Idaho over the last dam. Well, that's a good thing to do because that tells us our fisheries are important. But what happens out in the ocean with the orcas is this. Each one of those, the four dams um, kill about 40 to 50% of the juvenile Chinook that go down the river every year. That's about 20 million that migrate down, about half those die. And maybe eight to 10 million die going through the reservoirs and over the dams in the Lower Snake River. So if you breach, you prevent the death of eight to 10 million of these, you know, one year old Chinooks and so what happens to them is they go out in the ocean, at least half of them are going to grow up into be, you know, a 14, 15 pound fish in maybe 12 to 18 months for orcas. And so you help, you immediately help orcas, 
southern resident killer whales, that is, the ones that eat the salmon, mm-hmm. and of course, fishermen. And so here's an immediate benefit from breaching that can occur very quickly. So, but one, of, but one of the confusing things is people talk about hatcheries and let's spend more money on hatcheries and all this kind of stuff. That cannot generate fish quick enough like dam breaching can, A. B, hatcheries are already causing problems for wild fish. And I think that's well understood, but mm-hmm. it's often glossed over. Um, there's a big lobby of folks that want to keep hatcheries and I can understand that. But for the lower Snake River, uh, you really have to look at what the dams breaching can do, and you never can make that up with hatcheries. In fact, hatcheries are causing a problem for wild salmon. So those are some of the economic, uh, and also there's recreation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, right now, the recreation in the lower Snake River, they talk about 2 million visitors, you know, as they claim they're coming out there. There's, there's no way. 2 million visitors is like what goes to Yosemite or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's people lined up you know, for miles trying to get in. Anybody that's ever been to the Lower Snake, even on the July 4th weekend, you barely are filling up the, even the, the few parking lots that are there. And so the, the number of visitation, visitors going to those dead reservoirs right now is really low. When you bridge, though, you get a free-flowing river. Um, it's not a big class high white water river, but it's a good canoeing river, it's, and it's going to have restored fishing. And you also get back all that restored, you can restore a lot of the agricultural lands that was once there. That was vineyards and orchards and small farms. Most, about half of that can be put back in and that's gonna generate about um, three to 4,000 jobs, uh, a couple hundred million dollars in annual benefits. And that's never been talked about in all these studies, but we've had an economist look at that. So that's another benefit you get with breaching. And from the hydro standpoint, the, the impact to ratepayers is this, it's nothing because there's so much surplus power in the, in the Bonneville power area that the, this surplus power is, is basically more than even the Snake River dams produce. And so if you take the Snake River dams out, you'll still have a surplus. Mm-hmm. But a lot of folks, including some environmental groups that have done studies saying, well, we need to replace that with wind or something or solar. Well, that's great, except for one thing. Like I said, it's already surplus. It's great to bring more wind energy in, and you can once you breach the dams because the grid will have more space. But frankly, right now, you you can breach them and without adding any more resources to the grid. So that's mm-hmm. sort of the two sides of the economic arguments there. Okay. Yeah, that's. I was going to ask, you know, um, what are the environmental, social, and economic standpoints for why they've been removed, but you pretty much just... Um, answer that is there anything else that you would like to add as far as why um, it would be beneficial to remove the dams I feel like you've covered it pretty well well just in summary is is there's two kind of issues for ratepayers in the economy one is the long-term economic value of the dam and that's an economic approach that the Corps of Engineers does when you when you add up all the pros and cons that's benefits and costs mm-hmm. it shows that keeping the dams only it has a benefit cost ratio of far less than one somewhere mm-hmm. in the 15 to 20 cents per dollar range that means for every dollar the ratepayers and taxpayers spends on those snake river dams you get 20 cents 25 cents back that's terrible from a breaching standpoint, for every dollar you invest, you get at least $4. And that's if you replace the power. If you don't need to replace the power, which I've said you don't need to, your benefit mm-hmm. goes up to $20. So you invest a dollar, you get 20 back. That's a pretty good deal. Mm-hmm. And for the short term, what does Bonneville cost? And when you add up all the cost and the interest payments on those dams every year, 
they're costing about 30 to 40 million dollars more than the revenue that Bonneville gets off those dams. So that's part of Bonneville's problem is they're losing money and 30 or 40 million dollars of it is right there on the Snake River, which incidentally is the same amount of money they're asking for in surcharge increases every year. So anyway, that's just sort of the numbers on the, to sum it up. Excellent. Um, so what are some of the arguments from for leaving the dams in place? How would the community benefit from continuing to keep these dams? Well, actually, there isn't any benefit to keeping them in place. Okay. Um, the people that think that they're going to lose their jobs, and we, we hear 100,000 people are going to lose their job, that's total baloney. Probably the only people that are directly impacted the most are the actual federal employees that work on the dams. But they'll either, as, as you close a dam down, they'll be shifted to other projects because they're federally protected employees, or they'll they'll retire. And most of them are retirement eligible right now. And so, like I said, though, the irrigators, there's a way to fix their irrigation systems for about $20 million by extending pumps. So they're going to be left whole. The grain shippers are going to be shipped, shift to rail. There is an upgraded rail line on the river. We just need to improve some of the sidings and loading for handling facilities for grain. We can do that for 20 or 30 or 40 million dollars and upgrade one railroad on the south side for another 30 or 40. So all these costs that I'm talking about are in the price of breaching. And with those costs, we still save money for ratepayers and we keep everybody whole. So who benefits by keeping the dams is is basically a is myth. It's 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 just scare tactics to say people are going to get harmed when in fact two, three, four thousand jobs are going to be added to the economy in eastern Washington, which they desperately need. Okay. So if these solutions are very clear and it's it's obvious that holistically nobody's gonna benefit from it, why haven't they been removed? Well, that, that's a good question, and that's the one everybody asks. And it's, it's, it's sort of a confluence of issues that have sort of grown over the last 20 or 30 years. And one of them is people keep walking away from the issue directly, but when they hear, oh, this is going to take 10 or 15 years. Well, wait a minute, we've been working on it for 25, so when do we start the timeline? Mm-hmm. And so, and, but part of the problem is that people believe that Congress, some people believe that Congress needs to authorize the breaching, and this is not true. But this is, this is repeated constantly in the Pacific Northwest by some of the people in the Corps and Bonneville Power Administration mm-hmm. Um, the pro-dam people, and even environmental groups. A lot of them say the same thing. And they say, well, we got to work with Congress. No, because if you had to get these dams, if Congress had to authorize breaching, I wouldn't waste five minutes working on this, much less the 10 years that I've been doing this, because that's an impossible thing. The, um, 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 but what Congress does need to do is just put pressure on the court. But that's not authorization. That's phone calls, meetings, letters, telling those generals what to do. That's how the Corps works. And so um, that's the normal procedure for the Corps. But that, but people in the Northwest have been misled. The people in Washington, D.C., the policy people, I knew this when I was in Walla Walla, that no, Congress doesn't need it. So that's one reason. People just believe it's too long, too hard, too expensive. Another one is, is that there's just been this confluence of groups um, that have been litigating for 25 years and... Um, uh, they and the attorneys on the government are perfectly content to sue each other. The, it's, it's like a cottage industry has grown out of the litigation and study business. And so the Bonneville Power 
is, um, gee, they're, they're like, well, if we can just keep litigating this and never have to do anything with these one biological opinion after another, um, they don't care if they lose. Um, and everybody's just sort of trundling along in this idea where we can keep making money, we can keep, uh, we can keep stringing this thing out, we don't have to make, the politicians don't have to make a hard decision. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's in play here is that the, so this surplus power that I mentioned is being sold at really cheap price. And so you've got to ask the question, who benefits from this? And when you start looking at that, some of these players that benefit from this cheap power that, oh, by the way, is being basically subsidized by the public utility rate payers that are paying the $36 a megawatt hour, whereas this cheap power has been sold for $20 or less, they're being subsidized. Uh, Who are these people? And they are a force behind keeping the dams. And so these things have all sort of coalesced and, and, you know, kind of convoluted themselves into this, this sort of intractable kind of um, situation we're in right now, where it it's 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 politically okay to talk about dam breaching, but it's sort of like as long as we're talking about studies, more collaboration, fresh discussions, we want to shift the discussion, and we keep hearing that over and over again for the last thirty years. And frankly, salmon and orca cannot deal cannot take any more delays like this. That you can't eat the salmon, the orcas can't eat the studies that are going to be produced that, that, that people are asking for. More collaboration. Why do we need that? We collaborated extensively with hundreds and hundreds of people 20 years ago. Like I said, we know who needs money. We know who how to fix this thing. It's just that we can't get anybody to basically step up and say we need to breach the dams. So who would need to say that we need to breach the dams? Well, the, the Corps can make the decision. The d- division commander, a local commander can make that. He, like I said, though, the Corps works from political pressure. Where does that political pressure come from? Uh, strong senators. In this case, we have two of them, Maria Cantwell and, and um, Patty Murray. And from the governor, Governor Inslee, could put pressure on the Corps, especially given all this, the issues he's dealt with, with the Southern Resident Killer Wells, the ORCA Task Force, and all this kind of stuff. He's well aware of the consequences of failure here. But what he can do is call up the Corps and say, listen, those dams are in my state. You're hurting our environment. You're, you're killing our salmon. You're killing our southern resident killer whales. And you're hurting our ratepayers. And you're de- denying jobs for those people in eastern Washington that definitely could use those jobs in those mm-hmm. underserved un- uh, counties over there. So Governor Inslee can play a big role in this. So they're the primarily ones, and you have congressional members. Uh, you know, Kilmer signed. A, you know, is basically you know responding to a letter to put you know to do something. But more collaboration and more discussions is not what we need here, unless that discussion is directly focused on the Corps of Engineers in Washington D.C. That would be the Chief of Engineers or the Assistant Secretary of the Army, R.D. James. He's he's you know overseeing all this, so he can make that decision as well. But it's, it's an executive branch decision, but Congress and the governors need to put pressure on the executive branch. And that could be anywhere from the White House down to that local commander. Okay. So if the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has all these facts, like, why are they not motivated to remove the dams if it's very clear that from every angle that you take it, they shouldn't be up? Like... Everywhere in the country, anytime a local 
organ, a local core district has a project, they do not want to give it up. And so that's just the cultural bias. This thing has also been going on for so long. There's a, there's a heated up, you know, kind of um, two camps, the environmental groups and, and, and basically the, um, uh, the government agencies and the pro-dam folks. Now they've kind of all, you know, mingled together, but still this rhetoric goes on that um, we're not going to give up our dams. The other thing the Corps has reported constantly and repeatedly told me over the last five years is, Jim, no one has asked us to breach these dams since 1999 or 2000 when we did that initial study. And, and so why should they breach the dams if no one is asking them to it? Hey, that's that's two or 300 jobs in Walla Walla District. Um, nobody has to make a tough decision. And so it's, it's simple. You just just go along with the status quo. Mm-hmm. But I think it's fundamental to under, realize that if you don't ask the court, if you don't pressure them, they, never, they don't do anything. Mm-hmm. They just can keep on going with their projects. And that's just the way the court engineers works. Mm-hmm. I, I was there for 35 years. Mm-hmm. I was a part of all that process. I know how that works. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what can we do as individuals to push for dam removal? Well, there's a lot of things that people can do. Um, you know, I mentioned the, the political players, the governors. You can always, you know, um, write letters and so forth. But um, the other thing is is we need people that, that can influence these people. So people out there that may listen to your um, podcast or something, there may be, some, may be somebody that knows Senator Murray or Governor Inslee or something. They can be moved by what I'm trying to say and what other people have said on your other podcast about the dire situation. The other thing is, um, at the local level, particularly in the state of Washington, we can be talking to our county commissioners, to our mayors, to our public utility commissioners, which I'm one of, is, mm-hmm. is to go into these people, go to their meetings and say, why are you wasting ratepayer money and killing salmon and, and, and basically going to destroy the southern resident killer whales because of their lack of prey coming out of the Snake River, mm-hmm. which, of course, these folks deny um, we even had a case here a few weeks ago. The city of Port Angeles um, signed up to a letter um, pressing um, Congressman Kilmer to breach the dams. And so this is, you know, you know, just the city council members deciding. Mm-hmm. So if more people do this, particularly in the state of Washington, Oregon and Idaho, we can get, you know, those people, those local politicians putting the pressure on Governor Inslee, mm-hmm. um, honorable power administration of the court. And, and so whatever people are comfortable with, but do something, talk to your commissioners, write a letter to Governor Inslee, uh, go to a meeting and make a public comment or something. Those are, those are things that anybody can do, but we need a lot of people doing that. We're just not being heard. And, And the other thing you have to be careful of, if you belong to an environmental organization that you believe is trying to get the dance breach, read the fine print, see what they're really asking for. Are they asking for immediate breach? Because breaching can happen in a matter of months. The Corps has the authority. We have a breach plan. We know where the money comes from. It doesn't come from Congress. It comes from Bonneville Power Administration, which is ratepayer money. And so it can be done quickly. And so, but if your environmental organization is, is asking for more spill over the dams or more studies or more collaboration or shifting the dialogue or this kind of thing, be, please be suspicious and ask them, why aren't they supporting immediate dam breaching given the crisis that's, that the situation with salmon has been getting worse 
terribly, I mean, it's getting a lot worse in the last five years and the same thing for the Southern residents. And so we don't have time for more collaboration or more shifts in discussion or more studies or more spillover dams. It, it's, it's, we're kind of it. We may have already passed the point of no return, but all we can do is keep trying. But if we keep delaying this thing, um, it, it just is, it's, it's futile. And so ask your organizations and talk to your elected officials and anybody that happens to know these people, these, um, political leaders. Absolutely. Um, so the last question that we always ask people at the end is what can we learn from the whales? But if you want to talk about salmon or a different animal, then I, you know, we'd like to hear that too. Um, well, what can we learn from the whales? Um, this is a hard one for me because it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very emotional. These creatures are far superior in their emotional intelligence than humans can ever be in a, in a million years. And so what I've learned is that here we are starving a population of creatures together that are trying to tell us we're not listening there. And if we could, but you know, for us to try to talk to them is like an ant trying to talk to a human. They are so far, their intelligence is so far greater. Their, um, their, their sensing abilities, their abilities to, um, you know, communicate with each other and so forth. Their emotional intelligence is very powerful, far more than we are. And so what I've learned from them is, is that you really, um, uh, you, you, you have to empathize with this. If you can't, there's something wrong with you. And um, so I guess that's the part that from the whales I've learned is it's not just another endangered species on the list. It's not just a recreational benefit. These are profound creatures and we have a human connection. Talk to the tribal people that have lived in the, in the Salish Sea for the last 15, 20,000 years or whatever, and listen to them, understand their human relationship to these whales. And, and, and once you get into that, you realize you, there is a extremely close relationship between human beings and particularly Southern resident killer whales because of our close relationship. Um, and so I, I think that um, that powerful human whale connection is, is, um, is, is definitely being lost. And it's, and it's, 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 um, it's a tragic loss for humanity to di disconnect it from these whales. Uh, and not that just we're being disconnected, but we're doing it. We're starving them to death. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with you. And that's been a theme on some of our other episodes is that we're, we're becoming disconnected from something that we're so inherently connected to. So I think those are some wise words and definitely, you know, fits in with what everyone else has kind of been saying too. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to add or you want people to know? Well, um, let's see. I've covered a lot. Um, yes. So let me look at your questions again, see if they remind me anything. But um, again, um, people should not be um, dissuaded when they talk about dam breaching and the, and the ability to do that quickly, like I just explained. People say, oh, no, you don't know what you're talking about. This takes years and years and years. Don't listen to that. That is the mythology. That is the big lie. This can be done quickly, so don't get talked out of it. But it will only happen quick, quickly if people 
call, if people write, if people stand up and talk to their politicians, and whether it's at a PUD meeting, a city council meeting, or whatever meetings the governor or you mm-hmm. go go see your senator you know walk mm-hmm. into their office and talk to them we, we've done that and, and and talk to the senator go to bonneville power administration let them know what you think or the corps of engineers awesome well thank you so much for sharing your insight i think you know this is really important and really motivating i've definitely bought into the idea that it's going to take a while you know um, but you're totally right. This particular specific instance, we can we can have it pretty much solved in a year. That's not a long time, you know, or or even less. It sounds like you're saying. So I appreciate you sharing your insight, and you know, hopefully this will motivate people. Um, okay, thanks, Erica. It's fun doing it. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. I hope you're as motivated by that conversation as I was. Um, it's super clear that we can get some stuff done, and we can get it done now. This world is crazy, so. Um, we can make it a little bit better by, you know, showing up and acting. So I hope you guys are motivated. Um, call your Congress people, call Jay Inslee, write your letters. If you guys need help writing letters or you have questions, feel free to reach out to me on social media or, um, go ahead and email us at info at breachingextinction.com. Um, I'm more than happy to answer your questions. But yeah, hope you guys have a great week. Um, check us out on social media as always. If you want to support, um, you can support on our patreon and or give us a review on here um thanks so much okay bye bye